Hey everyone, it's Lana. Welcome back to Speakeasy. Hey guys, it's Emily here. I am drinking water tonight. Um, I'm not feeling too good, so. <laughs> we love that. Gotta respect the health. Um, this is Reagan, and tonight I'm actually taking a break from wine, and I'm drinking a Bud Light Seltzer, the mango flavor. So, sorry, Barefoot. And tonight I have a glass of Merlot, and a very heavy glass, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is heavy. Love the <laughs> Yeah, I think that that means that we're ready to talk about science news and misinformation surrounding vaccines. This is, I know that before every episode, I'm like, I'm so excited to talk about this. But this, I actually am because I'm a huge, huge, huge nerd for science news. And I spent a long time in my reporter days um, doing science and high health news. And this is really important because flu season is upon us, you know, the whole like winter is coming thing, but it's flu season. Um, So I think right now we're entering the perfect time to get your flu vaccine, but you might hear some misinformation. Yeah. And I think this is a really important time for the media and for just people in general, because every year we see a little bit of pushback between people who are comfortable getting the flu shot, people who aren't comfortable getting the flu shot. And with COVID-19, it kind of just brings a bigger wide range of reasons why we should or should not, or people are like for it or not to get the um, flu shot this year. Yeah. And kind of like Reagan said, a lot of this stems from misinformation and people not really understanding what vaccines are or how they really work within our bodies. So there's a lot of fear that kind of creates this stigma around getting vaccines. And I mean, I've seen a lot of social media posts and even just talking to family and friends saying that they're definitely not getting their flu shots this year. And that's pretty concerning for me. I mean, of course, disclaimer, we're not your doctors. So please consult with your physician if you should get your flu shot or not. But I think that this is a really important conversation to have. And last year, according to the CDC, about 48% of adults, so people 18 years or older, got their flu shots. And I personally am pretty concerned that that number is going to be even lower this season. I think one of the main reasons that people are so skeptical about vaccines is just because there's a lot of questions about what goes into making a vaccine. When it comes to making influenza, the flu virus, there are three specific types of ways that it really kind of gets administered or made before it's administered to the body. So one is the weakening of the virus. And so this actually with the virus is still live. So this sometimes will be considered or talked about as the live virus. But a really important thing to note about this is that even though the virus is live, it has been weakened in such a sense that like it cannot replicate in the same way that the flu virus does in a natural state. And for some people, that's actually not an option at all. For me, I can't have the live virus. I actually have to have the killed virus. So what that means is like the flu nose spray, when that came out, I didn't get to get that. I had to stick with the shot. Um, What that is, is that they actually go in with chemical and kill the virus itself so that it like can't replicate at all. And that's usually used for people with autoimmune diseases just because of their systems. But there is a big myth out there that people with autoimmune diseases can't get these vaccines or shouldn't get these vaccines, but that's actually really not the truth. So that's something to keep in mind, especially as we're quarantining this year. If you are quarantining with somebody who has an autoimmune disease, please um, consider and talk with your physician about getting the um, not live virus if you usually get the live virus. And lastly, the other kind is to take a single protein of the virus. And so what this does is through using part of the virus, 
it mimics an autoimmune response within our bodies, but again, not replicated not um, the live virus. The CDC estimated that the influenza in 2019 caused 490,000 hospitalizations. So it is still very much a threat to people. And I think that because of the vaccine, we've gotten this understanding or this feeling of safety when it comes to the flu. We don't feel like it is as dangerous as it really can be if you don't get the flu shot. And I want to kind of go back to what Lana was saying about the way that the flu vaccine is made. I think that she she gave us an amazing explanation and really broke it down in a way that's easy to understand. But the reason that there's so much fear is because the topic itself can be a little overwhelming. And so when people don't understand how their vaccines are made, it's very easy for them to assume, if I get the flu vaccine, they're putting a live virus in me, I'm going to get the flu. But we're here to tell you that that is actually not true. (laughs) So a lot of people are kind of wondering, like, so then how effective is my flu shot? Like, is it really worth getting? Um, And the answer is 100% yes. Um, When we look at CDC statistics, 2018-2019 year, there were about 4.4 million cases that were avoided through getting the vaccine. And that kind of circles back down, trickles down to about 4,000 deaths that were avoided through getting the flu vaccine. And... That also trickles back to what Reagan was speaking about, you know, when it comes to our hospitals. If we have this many people that have it, so many people going into the hospitals, um, then obviously there starts to become an influx and overpopulation um, within those spaces. And some people are probably also wondering, okay, well, I've gotten the flu vaccine before and then I still got the flu after, so how is it effective? Well, there are a few things that can kind of affect that. One, if you already were affected with the flu and like many times symptoms in cases, especially for people in our age group and people who are healthy and young, we are asymptomatic for a time being. So you could go get the flu shot and not even know at the time that you got it that it was already there. In that case, it can't prevent anything. And two, different strains of the virus. And so if you are getting, you know, treatment for something that you don't actually get, of course, it's not going to be blocking it. Of course, it's not going to, um, your body's not going to register or cre- create those antibodies against it because it's not the same thing, even though they're very similar. Right. And I think the bottom line that we really want to stress to you guys is if you get sick after getting the flu shot, it was not caused by the flu shot. And that's just like a really, really big misconception that's out there. With COVID around, we are expected to see uh, over 400,000 deaths by the time January 1st rolls around. And I think that like the medical community is really pushing the flu shot to avoid one of the two um, illnesses. Because if we have a way to kind of move away from the flu, COVID-19 really stays the biggest threat that we have to face. Unfortunately, because we don't have a vaccine or any way of controlling that, it's it's kind of one of those things that people are becoming even more skeptical because there's even less information provided. And I do want to emphasize that you can catch COVID and the flu at the same time. But I, I think going, you know, off off from the flu shot specifically and just more into why that misconception 
kind of exist and we start thinking about science and health news in general, specifically the landscape that we live in now with everything with COVID. And there's a lot of mistrust, not just in the media, which is something we've talked about before, but in scientists and science media. That is a huge problem that's gone on for decades. And I would love for us to really kind of dig into that and understanding why that exists. Yeah, it definitely is something that is worth talking about. And Um, Actually, Pew Research found that there has been an increase of public trust in scientists from about 2016 to 2019, but it's kind of complicated to understand what exactly that means. The most complicated thing to really understand and accept is that science has been politicized crazy since COVID-19 started. Um, John Hopkins and the Pew Research Center have both come out with research that shows a divide between Democrats and Republicans when it comes to trusting science, especially with COVID-related news. And that can be so scary when it comes to what's real and what's false. And I don't think that either side has it right in making it a politicized issue. Yeah, and it's really just turned people against fact, which is just such a scary world to live in. And like I said before, distrust in science and health news isn't isn't like a new thing that just started in 2020. But whenever something big happens, it becomes like the spotlight. So for an example, a pandemic. Like when the pandemic first started, there wasn't a lot of information about COVID and specifically how effective masks were. And so as more information was gained and opinions changed, that kind of hindered mask ordinances and how how much people trusted science officials and science media um, and whether or not they were gonna wear masks, whether or not they were going to social distance. And like I said, this isn't just a COVID thing. This happens with the flu shot. This happens every year when they decide whether or not eggs are actually healthy for you. And it's just been an issue in the science and news community for a really long time. How do we fix it? (laughs) That's a great question. I think there are definitely a lot of reasons that people tend to be skeptical of science and health news. Um, Whether or not it's social distancing works or if the flu shot is actually effective, people have a hard time. And I think we can even trace that back to when we are talking about social media and how that will influence the way that people consume news. And with like the world that it is on social media and Facebook and things like that with like the swarming of misinformation possible, I think it it can become one of those things where people don't know what to trust. And I think another thing that's really big is that there have been mistakes in science and health news in the past, which those blunders oftentimes can become really big things and it causes people to trust us a little bit less when they find problems in our reporting. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's not a perfect system. There's, like Emily said, with social media, there's just so much information out there and it's very overwhelming. Some of it just straight up is not true. Like if you're looking for a study that's like social distancing doesn't work or the flu vaccine isn't effective and you type that into Google, you can find some fake story out there that's going to confirm that suspicion. So I think it's up to us to really go out of our way to make sure that the accurate information is in front of people and it's accessible. Like we talked about this idea of like what a fact is, right? Like people hear a fact and like that's like set in stone in their mind, but scientists 
they're used to the scientific process, it's an ongoing thing. Like they get more information and then they change what their conclusion is. And in society, when it comes to like public health, we have a really hard time accepting that. Um, And so we just don't trust it. Yeah, that definitely is something that's really big. And I think a lot of people don't understand that when it comes to research, it's an ever-growing process, right? And it not only takes a bunch of time, but it takes a lot of money. So for somebody to be able to replicate and do a certain study multiple times um, to give us the certain findings that we need, it's, it's kind of really hard these days to be able to manufacture science in the way that I think we have been taught as children that it works. And I think that sometimes when we were younger, we had this idea that like science is non-fallible. Like you cannot find falsities in what scientists do because what they're doing is there's always a right answer. But I think that something that everybody needs to understand is like when you're doing something that can affect people in such a way that you know, their lives can literally depend on it. I think that we need to understand that like, it has to continuously change to keep up with the changing of people, to keep up with the changing of different illnesses that come up over time. Like science is not something that stays stagnant because it can't. And so many wonderful things have come from that. Like obviously the invention of vaccines or like the invention of things like medicines that we need to stay healthy. We are not doctors and we're trying to explain this in the most like layman's terms we can. And I think it's really important. Like I'm not just saying having skepticism when it comes to, you know, new research or news that's out there. I think it's really important to do your own research and form your opinions on things that are available to you, facts that are available to you. But I, as with this entire podcast, have really just gotten into this idea of like what it means to be transparent. And I think in the science community and in the science news community, that means explaining to people, you know, we didn't like publish new research because we wanted to change the narrative. We publish new research because that's the way that the scientific process works. And if we can kind of start with that baseline of education and transparency, I think that that would significantly change the world that we live in for sure. I think another big thing about this is that there is kind of barriers to entry when it comes to science education. Um, Many people who have probably tried to look for certain articles or look up scholarly resources may have seen that like once you get to these certain sites there will be massive firewalls and paywalls that you have to enter um i know for many scholarly articles it's like 30 dollars an article or a 200 dollars subscription for the year and that's just kind of like on the minimal level for many people that's just not a reality even if they really are interested they can't get you know 200 dollars to get access to that information. That's such a good point to bring up, Lana. Like, it's insane that we treat science and information as just this, this, like, untouchable thing that only, like, the top of society can reach. And I got a lot of problems with that. But before we get into all that, why don't we talk about what we and our fellow journos can do to make science and health news more accessible, more attainable, more digestible by the average person? 
take a second to understand the process for medications or vaccines or sit down and like really research it a little bit just so you have a better understanding of the process because the better your understanding is the better you're able to relay that information onto other people i'm not a health journalist by any means but when i was in school i took a class all about like drugs vaccines and like the psychology of like doing that and how they do it ethically and all of those sorts of things. And I think that doing that really helped me to understand how to put that forth and give those explanations when people have questions about vaccines and things like that. Yeah. And I think going off of that point, something I would love to see change, both in the science community and the media community, is just let go of this narrative that if you're in journalism, you can't understand math or data. And if you're a scientist, you can't speak that well or you can't write well. Like, why Why are we putting ourselves in these boxes? We need to let go of that narrative because with like, once we do, we'll fully be able to communicate very important data and facts to society in the way that we need to. Yeah, and I know earlier I kind of touched on the fact that some of these resources are really hard to gain access to, but there are some resources out there that are free, open access, and um, so, you know, if you are looking for some, a really good word to use is open access as you type on Google, just because free sometimes is going to just bring up a lot of crazy, misgarbled, whatever, but open access is a good word to use in your search tool. But one really good resource is Sci-Hub. I love using it. It's great. And then there's PeerJ. And then there's PLOS biology. And so all of those are really great resources. I also wanted to give a quick plug. So like we all, I mean, I think so many people nowadays like take medications of some sort, like maybe it's anxiety medication or just something to help out with like a health condition or whatever. And there's this app called Apocrates that you can get on your phone. I will link to, I'll put it in like an episode description or something. And you can look at the interactions that your current medication could have with the shot, with a vaccine, other medications, just very generally, like you can look at interactions between medications. And it has been such a lifesaver for me and it's free. That's so, I I didn't know that that was a thing. I might fuck around and download it. That's crazy. (laughs) It's awesome. I (laughs) I highly recommend it. (laughs) Um, But I think my kind of last tip for people is incorporate science into your politics. You know, like I think a huge thing that we need to do in the public forum is include scientists in the conversation. And that means voting in Um, officials that have a scientific background. And it also means for all of you little scientists out there, get out there, like use your voice. Okay. Like I said before, I know that there's like this myth that like you're not good at communicating, but you can do it. I believe in you. Another tool that you can use other than going online and going to those research articles that I kind of talked about earlier, because not everybody's going to want to read a research article. I totally understand that. It is very fair. Um, What I personally do on my LinkedIn is I love to connect with people who are researchers on different topics that I find very, like, interesting. And many times, especially now because of the virus, um, COVID, it is really often that you'll find that these researchers are hosting webinars or discussions based on the things that they research. And for me, it's a lot more engaging to have a conversation with somebody about what they study than to read about it. I mean, especially now with everything being remote, that's like, I feel like things are so much more accessible to people. So that's 
awesome. And okay, I know I said my last tip was my final tip, but this is really my final tip. Listen to this podcast. (laughs) We love taking information and making it snackable. That's really... You know, my mission, even though I'm not doing journalism per se right now, I always want my career to be focused on producing content that people can actually understand and is changing the narrative and not just adding noise to the world. And I think as journalists, we have to do better at putting it out there and making it more accessible. And as consumers, we have to do better at seeking it out and actually relying on that kind of good journalism. If we can make it so that we can understand it for ourselves, hopefully we can make it so you can also understand it. Yeah. And this was a bit of a heavy episode. So why don't we make things a little fun by playing a round of think or drink? Yes, I'm so ready. I have the question this week, everybody, because I lost last time. So (laughs) here we go. What was, friends, the first vaccine ever made here are your three options i feel like anyone in like eighth grade could answer this question and we're not gonna be able to you get three options diphtheria polio or smallpox i think it's either polio or smallpox See, I think it's either diphtheria or polio, just because I feel like I hear about polio all the time, but I'm also like, I remember when I used to play, oh my God, what was that? Like, and like, you would always just die of- Oh, the Oregon Trail. The Oregon Trail. Die of that. I was like, what are you talking about? Oregon Trail. Every single time I would play, I would die of diphtheria. I feel like they had to vaccinate that and that's why people aren't dying. I think I'm going to go with diphtheria just because I hope that that's the first thing that we were like, let's stop shitting ourselves to death. (laughs) That would be really important to take care of. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So we got one for diphtheria. I don't know. Something in my heart is like small pox. I'm going to second that answer. I'm going to echo what Lana said. Okay. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Drum roll. You're both wrong. It is smallpox. It was by Edward Jenner in 1796, and it was the first successful vaccine ever developed. What did I say? So close. You were so close. So um, Edward Jenner created it because he observed that his milkmaids, who had previously caught cowpox, did not catch smallpox. And he showed that he could inoculate against smallpox with a variola virus, which I would assume is a similar thing. So cowpox and smallpox had similar makeups and he created this vaccine that would stop against smallpox because he was treating cowpox okay here's the thing i finished this one should i like chug another one i mean i'm gonna down this merlot so i feel like that's pretty cool i'll get the i'll get the nasty sound of me opening this hold on let's get a good grip oh Oh, that's a big yeah let's down them let's do it oh god happen Woo! Chug, 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 chug. Hope you don't get diphtheria from those drinks of yours. This is a seltzer. I'm not going to be able to chug it off. (laughs) 
3,000%. I'm drunk now. So guys, I hope that you learned a lot or at least a little. Please join us anytime. It's time to take shots, especially your flu shots. And until next time, stay informed. Cheers. Cheers.